I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're actually going to come back to the passage we looked at last week. We, we looked more last week kind of the tone of what it meant to uh, live in community with one another. This week's we're actually going to take some time and work through the gifts that Paul mentions in verses 6 through 8. Um, so I'm, I'm doing a very unscientific survey just out of curiosity. How many people in this room who either as a child had this experience or as, as an adult, uh, where you either observe this in your parents or you experience this as a married couple, have almost lost your marriage on a canoe trip. How many people, come on, tell the truth. Either, either a lot of people in this room haven't been in canoes or there are a lot of people that are not being, being honest. There's something about going on a float trip that, you know, just where else in four short hours can you combine miscommunication and lack of cooperation and anger into one fun-filled event. I mean, it, 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 it's mind-boggling. Uh, if you want to know what your true sinful nature is, just go on a canoe trip with your spouse. The last time we went on a canoe trip, uh, our friends, the apprentices, invited us down to their cabin on the Merrimack, and we went out for a day, and we flowed down the Merrimack River, and Jordan was that tall. Jordan's our youngest son who's now, you know, I can barely touch the top of his head. So this is, we're going back probably 12 years, last time we were on a canoe trip. And Cindy and I were in one canoe, Katie and, uh, and Nate were in another, and then, and then John and Nancy were in another. We had Jordan in between us, and we're going down the river. And, you know, and I had done a canoe trip like four times in my life, so I'm an expert, right? I mean, every man knows that. If you, if you do it once, you know everything about it. And so I'm putting my family at great risk. And we're floating down the river, and I look at there's this really pretty meadow. And as I look at this meadow, there's like uh, there's like a, a buck over there and a couple of does. They're like, beautiful deer. And they're just kind of out there grazing. And I'm going, hey, look at the deer. Well, Cindy's in the front of the canoe. She's going, hey, look at the log. But I'm not really paying attention to her because I'm the expert and she's not. And so I'm saying, look at the deer. And she's saying, look at the log. And I'm saying, look at the deer. And she's saying, look at the log. And eventually the log looks at us and we swamp the canoe and everything goes everywhere. We, we did find Jordan downstream later. It all worked out. Okay, he had that vest. He kept bobbing up and down. Uh, and then we had a very lively husband-wife conversation. <laughs> when you get more than two people together in, in any kind of circumstance, whether it's a canoe trip or, or in a business or in a you know, family or neighborhood, there's always the possibility for great disaster. And you, you take that to a church setting, and we have 400-plus members of Green Tree and probably another 100, 150 that come regularly that, that, uh, that have not joined the church yet, but they're part of the Green Tree family. So, you know, 500-plus people running around here, there's wonderful opportunity for relational disasters all over the place. But the flip side of the coin is equally true, because if you've ever been on a flow trip with somebody that really knows what they're doing, I mean, I went down the Arkansas River one time, you know, class four, class five rapids, and didn't fall out of the boat and didn't run into any, any, any boulders, right? Because the person in the boat knew what he was doing, and he had us all working together. <laughs> and we were all exercising our gifts to our abilities, and we had just an absolute delightful time. In the, and, and that's true in the church. When the Spirit of God is present, and the Word of God is active in your heart, and in my heart, and in our hearts, the opportunity for God to do amazing things is truly incredible. And so Paul talks in Romans 12 about the application of this wonderful message of grace, and he takes us to our community life as brothers and sisters in Christ, and he talks about how we relate to one another. And so we're going to, in, in just a moment after we read the passage, we're going to do a quick review of the tone, but then Paul lists specific gifts. 
He talks about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and how we use those to honor Christ and to serve one another. So our trip down the river, so to speak, is one that is filled with an adventure and with excitement and with passion, but it's done in a way that honors the Lord Jesus. So Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, hear the word of God. Paul writes, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we know that uh, the, the body of Christ is a place that can, can be, uh, because of our sinful nature, can be very destructive and harmful. Uh, Father, we, we can do more damage than good if we do not live under the control of your Holy Spirit and your word. So, Father, I pray this morning that as we look at this, this passage, as we consider this text again, that you would come and open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us. Because as, as harmful as we can be to one another, if we take our eyes off Christ, when, the, when he is present as Savior and Lord, the sky's the limit on what you can do in and through your people. Because you empower us with your spirit and you give us gifts. And you give us instruction that we would walk in his footsteps, that we would follow Christ. And in doing so, we would reflect his glory to one another and to a lost and dying world that needs to know the truth of his grace and his mercy. Father, you know that I don't live out my gifts as I should. You know that I am a sinful man. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for those things that I have done or left undone this last week that have not honored you. Father, don't let me stand in the way of us learning what it means to be endowed by the Holy Spirit with gifts that strengthen and bless your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just to do a real quick review from last Sunday. Uh, we spent more time in the first five verses last week. And Paul talks about the gifts of, of the Holy Spirit in the context of being sober-minded. He says, you have to think clearly. You have to see the situation for which it is. And we spent a lot of time on that last week. But, but simply by way of review, Paul says, don't think too much of yourself. There, there isn't room for arrogance within the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I would ever boast except in the cross of Christ. So Paul says when you come together as a community and you're, and you're doing some self-assessment, you need to make sure that there's no arrogance, there's no pride, there's no, uh, there's no corner of your life that is based on you know, thinking more of yourself than you should. Because when I think more of me, I have to think less of you. Because there's not room for both of us. And so Paul says, be sober-minded. And that should lead you to humility because you aren't saved because you're good. You're saved because God is gracious. And your faith is in him alone. And that leaves no room 
for braggadociousness in the life of a believer. But the flip side is also true. There are, there are folks that, that are in the church that say, well, I don't really have anything to offer. And I, I'm not really as important as so-and-so, or I'm not, I'm not really as good or as gifted as so-and-so. And that really is an insult to your heavenly father as well. Jesus died for you. How much more important could you possibly be? And the scripture is very clear that every disciple of Jesus is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the life of every believer with some sort of gift. So who am I to say, God, I'm not good enough. (laughs) You know, I don't have anything to offer. That, That is simply an insult to my Heavenly Father. So we need to think appropriately, which is summed up in, I think, this phrase. Humbled by grace because it's, it's the work of Jesus that saves, and connected to each other through him. We're connected to each other through Christ Jesus. So with that as the foundation, with that as kind of the, 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 the bottom line for our building blocks, what I want to do today is basically spend our time in the second half of verse 6 and through verse 8 where Paul lists the gifts. And Paul mentions that the one who has the gift of prophecy should prophesy, the one who serves should serve, and so on and so forth. And I, and I didn't want to assume, that's why I broke this into two sermons, I didn't want to assume that everybody in this room understood what it meant to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to walk through each of these gifts. This is not the entire list. This is not an exhaustive list. But it is a good example of how God works within his church. And then if, if, we, want to, if we need to know more, you need to spend some time looking through this. We can do that outside of the context of Sunday morning. You can, you can check with us at, at the office. We can talk to the elders. And we can help you if you need some, do some discerning work on your gifts. The first gift is prophecy. Uh, when you think of prophecy, you think probably mostly of the Old Testament, of somebody talking about the future. You know, you've got, you've got one of those uh, you know, old obscure names in the, in the, in the end of the Old Testament, you know, uh, Hosea and Joel and Malachi, those guys, they would tell you what's going to happen in the future. And, and that's true. Part of what the Holy Spirit does when he shows up is he gives clarity about what God is doing in the past and the present and at times in the future. So, you, you know, you have one of the prophets saying, hey, you know, we've been disobeying God and the Babylonians are going to show up and wipe us out. And all of a sudden, you know, here come down the road, the Babylonians and the, and the prophet speaks into what God is going to be doing. But on a broader sense of the word, the better, the more accurate statement is probably to say forth-telling. The prophet speaks the truth of God into every particular circumstance, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament or in the church age in which you and I live today. So a good example of someone, you know, their key contribution is sharing God's truth in a specific situation in the Old Testament would be Nathan the prophet and King David. So you, you, you probably, a lot of you have heard the story, King David, you know, has been blessed by God incredibly, but he really messes up big time. He has an affair with a woman who isn't his wife. She becomes pregnant. And instead of stepping up and saying, you know, being a man and saying, hey, I really, I can't believe how badly I behaved, but here's what I've done in seeking forgiveness, he tries to cover it up by getting her husband drunk and trying to get him to go home and sleep with his wife so he would think it was his child. And then when that doesn't work, he actually has some other guys kill her, kill her husband. So that's about as bad as you can get. But who's going to go to the king who has ultimate authority and confront him? Well, Nathan the prophet shows up. And, and he gets into this conversation with David, and he tells him a story about a guy who has a 1,000 sheep, and he's got a buddy that comes to visit him on vacation. And instead of taking one of his sheep and slaughtering it for dinner, he goes to his neighbor who has one little tiny sheep, takes it from him, kills it, and offers that to his friend. And David's enraged. David, he blows up. I can't believe this is the, the worst injustice I've ever heard of. That man needs to pay fourfold back. And Nathan 
This little prophet guy looks at the king and he goes, that's interesting because you're the man. It's you. You're the one that, that is the ungodly one. And at that moment, King David could have said, off with his head. <laughs> and that would have been the end of it. But the prophet doesn't think in those terms. The prophet doesn't think, oh, I'm a little worried about who I share. No, the prophet says, this is the truth. And God has given it to me to deliver, and I'm going to deliver it. And Nathan says to David, you're the man. And then the Spirit of God worked in David's heart, and he said, guilty. And the nation of Israel was saved through the gift of prophecy. And that holds true today. The church is spared a lot of pain and a lot of suffering because God has given some within every congregation, including this congregation, an insight through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God into particular circumstances. And, and when the gift is exercised in a healthy way, when it's exercised in humility in the context of grace, that prophet protects the body of Christ, not only from heresy, which is false teaching, but also from, from ungodliness, from, from choices that are evil. The prophet says, wait a minute, we're going down a wrong road. Let me give you an example of somebody who you probably wouldn't think of as a prophet. But I think in this particular situation, whether she had it at any other time in her life, I'm not sure. But I believe at this moment, the Holy Spirit showed up in her life and gave her the gift of prophecy. In 1994, February the 3rd, little teeny tiny Mother Teresa is speaking to the most powerful people in the world, the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And she is speaking to the president, to the vice president, to his cabinet, to the Supreme Court. Everybody is there. And she gets on the topic of life. And she begins to talk about the unborn. And here's little teeny tiny Mother Teresa calling the President of the United States and calling all of us on the carpet for our our radical, uh, uncaring spirit towards the unborn. And she calls us out on the issue of abortion. And she ends up this speech, this part of her speech, by looking at the most powerful man in the world and saying the following thing. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I'm willing to accept any child who would be aborted and give that child to a married couple who will love that child and be loved by that child. That's the voice of the prophet. You think about that. Mother Teresa in Calcutta, we just heard that that, that $40 a year in Leon's community will will keep a child fed all year long, keep a child in school or or all month long. Uh, And you think about what we pay in the United States for things. And, and here's this woman who comes from one of the poorest of the poor settings, and she's saying, if you don't want your kids, give them to me, I'll find a home for them. The prophet speaks truth. She didn't say, oh, I don't think the president will react very nicely to this because he has a record of, uh, of, of abortion rights. Didn't matter. She spoke the truth into that situation. And the church needs the voice of the prophet. But the, if you have the prophetic voice, I'm, I'm going to give a, a positive and a negative side for each one of these. If you, if you have a prophetic voice, you need to be careful to remember that it's in the context of grace because at times the prophet can be harsh. At times the prophet can kind of like um, the old Tina Turner song, what's love got to do with it? You know, the most important thing is that you, that you hear the word and, and it's true, that is, that is most important, but also understand that, that the whole point the prophets came was the point to the Savior was to demonstrate that the mercy and the grace of God was for lost sinners. So the first gift that Paul mentions is prophecy. The second he mentions is service. The word there literally means waiting tables. And the key contribution of this person is the physical help for the needy in particular, especially the widows and the orphan. So those who have have the gift 
of, of serving, they look at, uh, at, through compassionate eyes at what is the physical need of the folks around me. I would take you back to Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We actually did a sermon series uh, on, on that, that teaching of Jesus. The idea there is that I am a servant, that I've come to help others. In particular, in this gift, it's a physical help. So you think about, for example, the deacons uh, here at Green Tree Community Church. You think about the folks who organize the, the Joplin uh, trips and, and, our, and the goal that every church member go once to Joplin to help with tornado relief. You think about uh, 2028, our service project in, in June. Uh, you think about folks who, who in, interact with, between Green Tree and the Kirkwood School District to offer help to students who, who need help. I just had a woman come up to me in between services and say, hey, I've got this ACT prep course. Maybe one of Cindy's kids can use it. The, the gift of serving says, how can we meet the need? How can we care for others? And when it's healthy, when it works, there's compassionate care. Needs are met. Physical needs are met because those who serve reflect the serving heart of Jesus. If that's your gift this morning, there is one word of caution. And the word of caution is this. You have to be careful that you don't become so focused in serving that you see everybody through that lens. And the servant tends to say, well, if I'm serving and, and, and you're, you're doing something else, you're, you know, you're prophesying or, or you're using uh, the gift of giving, you're not quite ser- doing the right thing. You're not serving like me. Servants tend to see folks in terms of serving. And you have to be careful not to judge others who are actually given different gifts by God so that the whole body works together in unity. The third gift Paul mentions in this list is the gift of teaching. And the person who is gifted with teaching, it means a couple of things. One is that they're able to give instruction, what we believe. And as we mentioned, Romans is probably the best picture of Paul's teaching gift. Because he spends 11 chapters telling us what to believe. He helps us understand our theology. But then over chapters 12 and on, he teaches us how to believe. He teaches us application. How do we take this and put it into our life? And so the key contribution of the teacher is imparting knowledge, and wisdom. And when that's done in a healthy way, you see two things. People come to faith. People put their faith in Christ. You see people who have never heard the gospel before sitting under somebody's teaching, and they go, wait, I I want Jesus, because the Holy Spirit has gifted that person to teach. But you also see disciples growing in Christ. Um, One of the guys who I think is the very best teacher I've ever met, a guy here in St. Louis, and he came and did a devotional a few years ago for our staff. We were having a one-day staff retreat. I may have told you all a story before. He takes us to John chapter 1, and, I, and I'm like, you got, bud, you got like 15 minutes. We got a lot to do today, but, but get us started on the right track. So he takes us to John chapter 1. John the Baptist is baptized. He's out on the Jordan, and all the leaders come out from Jerusalem. They say, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? And then, and then John the Apostle writes, John the Baptist told them plainly, or, or he spoke very clearly, very forthrightly to them, I am not the Christ. So he he leads us to this point, he stops. He goes, now, let's all say that together. I am not the Christ. And we're like, I am not the Christ. He goes, no. He goes, look, you guys don't believe this. All you people that work in churches, you all have Messiah complexes. You think you're Jesus from time to time, and I'm here to save Green Tree Community Church. So let's all say it together. I am not the Christ. We're like, okay, I am not. So all of a sudden, he's got the staff kind of standing up and saying it, and you know, I am not the Christ. Let me tell you something. There isn't a week that goes by in my life where I don't think to myself, oh my gosh, I'm not the Christ. That's a good teacher. (laughs) 
That's somebody that in, that in one little phrase, I'll remember it until I don't remember my own name. I'll remember that the rest of my life. And let me tell you what that does for you guys. <laughs> it saves you from somebody who from time to time thinks he knows everything. Don't talk to my wife about how often that's true in my home. <laughs> and yet, when it's used properly, the gift of teaching can just, can just build the kingdom of God in incredible ways. But the teacher has to be careful that being right doesn't become the answer. That being right isn't the most important thing. I am absolutely confident beyond a shadow of a doubt when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to get all the Baptists in one room. He says, what didn't you get about infant baptism? How could you have possibly missed that one? It's a little bit of a joke. You can laugh if you have a Baptist background. Well, y'all are getting way too serious on me. <laughs> but there's a 50-50 chance that he's going to get all the Presbyterians together and go, what were you doing with those kids? Now, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I firmly believe that in the doctrine of infant baptism. But you know what? If I'm wrong about that, it's not the end of the world. And if I'm right about that, it doesn't mean worldwide revival is going to break out. And if I treat you differently because you disagree with me, then shame on me. Being right is not the goal. Following Jesus and serving you as we serve one another is. And the teachers need to remember that. The fourth gift to which Paul speaks is the gift of exhortation. These are the people everybody wants to be around. They encourage, they motivate, they inspire us. Their key contribution is that they spur the body of Christ on to great deeds in the name of Jesus. There are things that we would never accomplish on our own, but, but this is the person that when you get around them, you know, it, it's the coach in the locker room that can just give the exact right pep talk. They say the, the right thing at the right moment. Um, you know, I don't want to be a sexist, but I'm guessing that the guys probably like the movie Braveheart in this room a little bit better than the gals, although I know Mel Gibson's cute, and that kind of helped a little bit. There's a little bit of love story, but, but you know, when Mel Gibson goes out and goes, you know, who wants to start a war? You know, you want to jump into the movie, and you want to paint your face blue and stand there, you know, William Wallace and draw your sword or whatever, and, and jump into the fight because he's a mo- he's just a motivator. He's inspiring. We could have a free Scotland, and you're like, yeah, let's go. You know, those of you that are as old as me or older remember Dr. King standing on the steps of, of the Lincoln Memorial and saying, I have a dream. And he challenged us as a nation to a radically different way of thinking about race relations than we ever had before. And he ended up giving his life for that. But but the United States would not be making any advancements in that, the advances that we've made, and we're certainly not perfect yet. But he inspired us to think and live in a different way, and that's the person with a gift of exhortation, and they energize us to risk everything for Jesus. But those who have this gift need to be careful because it can become manipulative. It can become something that's used uh, for my own gain and not for others. And there are plenty of examples in the Christian community of people that are wonderfully gifted with, with the ability to inspire and to speak, but they use it to get, ri- get rich themselves. They use it for their own advancement. They use it to sell their next book and not necessarily to serve the kingdom of God. And there, there is not a, a spirit of humility within their hearts. But when they are under the control of Jesus, they, they cause us to, to dream and to dare to do great things for the cause of Christ. The fifth gift is the gift of contribution. 
It's the idea that, that I would use my financial resources to meet needs. Now, it isn't just the needs of like the widow and orphan, although that is certainly part of it. I agree with Drew. I hope we don't have any cards left on the table at the end of the service. But it's also meeting the needs of the, of the body in general. It, it's providing uh, the funds for ministry opportunities right here within the context of Green Tree Community Church. But what this person does, what they bring to the table is not just their giving, but, and, and they don't do it in a boastful way. And they don't do it in a loud way. They don't call attention to themselves. But somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they create an atmosphere of giving without regret. In other words, they, they never go, gee, I wonder what's in the checkbook. <laughs> they say, let's give. And that inspires the rest of us to say, I could live more like that myself. I could be more excited about giving and less worried about how much there is to give. Or I can rearrange some priorities in my life, actually, so that there would be more that I could give to others. Uh, some of you have been around this long, but in September of 2001, I'm pretty sure the end of September 2001, the end of the month, uh, I stood up in a, in a Sunday morning and I said, I just want everybody to know that, I, that I've looked at our budget for the year, and I don't look at the numbers at Green Tree very much. You really don't want me to. I'm not a numbers guy, but I looked at them, and the giving had already matched what we needed for the year. And we still had October, November, and December. And if you're in a nonprofit, you know October, November, December, December are the biggest giving months of the year. I stood up on Sunday morning and said, hey, everybody, I just want you to know we've met the budget for the year. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? I, you know, I don't know a church that's had that experience before. And, and I'm thinking, let's celebrate, and this is really cool. And a couple of people after church say, don't ever say that. <laughs> don't ever give people a reason to stop giving. <laughs> I'm like, I wasn't trying to give anybody a reason to stop giving. I was trying to give people a, a reason to celebrate the fact that God has given this church a spirit of generosity. Now, you look at the, 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 the economic woes of this. You look at the world, but you look at, at this country, and Missouri in particular has not had a great time during the last five or six years. We're, we're kind of like the rest of the country. We're, we're, somebody told me we're in economic recovery. I'm not sure how, but okay. Um, but in the last five years, when it's really been tough, you know how deep into our savings we've had to, to dig as a congregation? You know how much money we've had to go back and pull out of our reserves over five years so that nobody would have to be laid off or we, we wouldn't have to, you know, turn the lights off a little sooner? $11,000. That's it. $11,000. That's miraculous. I have buddies who are pastors around the country who don't, half their staff had to be laid off because the giving dropped off so severely. And I'm not saying that to say stop giving. I'm saying that to say... By God's grace, <laughs> he has brought to this congregation the spiritual gift of contribution. And may that encourage the rest of us to give even more. Because those who have the gift of exhortation are going to inspire us to great things. The teachers are going to help us understand how. The servants are going to, are going to formulate a plan. And the prophet is going to make sure we stay on track. You see how this all begins to weave together for the glory of God. The one caution that we have to offer is that the, you have to be careful not to use your giving to try to control others. Uh, my best friend in college had a great job offer right after college, was getting married, and he turned it down. I said, why'd you turn that down? I'm going back to 1982. And he said, because the job was with my father-in-law and he controls his family through money. And I'm not going to be one of those people he controls. There's a lot of wisdom on the part of my friend in that particular moment. Those of you that have that, this gift of contribution, make sure you're always asking the Lord for humility and for gentleness and for graciousness to serve in that way. The, uh, the, uh, the sixth is leadership. 
uh, and there are seven total, so we're almost home. Leadership is serving through giving direction. The idea is the leader can kind of look out and chart the course and kind of keep us on track, so to speak. They, they, they make sure that, that we're, we're following the right tasks, the right responsibilities. They, they kind of see the big picture type of thing, and they, and they, they look ahead and try to make uh, plans carefully following the Lord. And when, and when they're healthy, that does give clear directions and goals to, to the congregation. It, it does help us understand uh, not only where we are, but where we're headed. But the, but the flip side of this one is it can become dictatorial. And if you have the gift of leadership, uh, you can get to the point where you're like, hey, when I speak, it's thus saith the Lord, okay? So everybody better sit up and listen when I'm talking because I know the way. And there can be an arrogance there that can really be harmful relationally to other people. And so for those, leadership happens to be one of my spiritual gifts. I have to be so careful to not allow that arrogance to creep into my heart because I'll crush you with it. And it will be awful. It, it, it will be a terrible experience for all of us. And pretty soon, that'll be a leader without any, anybody following. Because the Lord Jesus wants us to do what? The one who leads is what? The servant of all. The one who's the, the greatest among you, who's that person? That person should be the least. So those who have the gift of leadership need to say, I exercise this gift in service to my Lord and to my brothers and my sisters. And then the last uh, gift that Paul mentions, and again, these aren't all of them, but, but they're a good number, is acts of mercy. And, and this is care for the emotional needs of people. It's a little different than the servant. The servant goes, oh, there's a widow there that, that needs, you know, her gutters fixed on her house. And they go and they take care of a, a physical need. Uh, the person that has acts of mercy is looking to help emotionally. Uh, they're, le- they're looking to, to care for others uh, on an emotional and spiritual level so that their contribution is what we call steadiness in the storms of life. And, and we all experience those. We all experience whether it's sickness, uh, whether it's a, a, a problem in our family or, or work-related. There are storms in each one of our lives. That's why God gives the, the person who has this gift of acts of mercy because they come alongside us. And, and, and just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with us in some way over an hour, you feel so much better and nothing in your life has changed. <laughs> but there's an anchor there all of a sudden. There, there's a refocusing on, on God's care and compassion for us. And, and we feel better even though all they've really done is put their arms around us and, and told us it's going to be okay. The Stephen ministers at Green Tree Community Church are a perfect example of people who have, who have these gifts of, of the acts of mercy so that even when I'm suffering, there's a safe place. I might be in the most dark place in my life. I might even be thinking, you know what? I'm not even sure God's real anymore. And the person who has this gift comes alongside me. And they don't teach me at that moment because they don't have the gift of teaching necessarily. They're not trying to lead me anywhere. They're not trying to speak prophetic truth into my life. They just say, you know what? It's okay. If you can't see Jesus right now, don't worry. I'll sit here and I'll just hang out with you and I'll care for you. Oh my goodness, does the church need people with these kinds of gifts? The only warning here is that, that truth and correction at times can be missed. There have certainly been times in my life where I've gone through suffering and I just needed somebody to love me. There are other times in my life where I created my own suffering by bad decisions and I still needed somebody to say, you know, it's okay, Jesus loves you. It, it, it'll be all right. But they also needed to correct me. They also needed to offer a word of truth into my life. And so again, we need all of these gifts. 
We need the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in each one of our lives so that in humility and under the shadow of the cross of Christ, we serve him and we serve one another and we're a witness to the community around us for what it means to be in relationship with him. So as we just kind of bring this to a close this morning, there's danger and there's opportunity. There's both here, and, I, and we need to see them both clearly. First danger is that we neglect the gifts of the Spirit, that we say, you know what, I, oh, I don't know what my gifts are, and I don't have time to figure that out, and they're fine without me. And we neglect understanding that we are an integral part of, of God bringing us together as a spiritual family. And then all of us are weakened because of that. The second danger is that there's a pride or an arrogance, and I could do more harm than good. And kind of coming back to my, my canoe analogy, then we're sunk. If we, if we beat each other up with these gifts, if we're arrogant with these gifts, if, if they're not given and used in a spirit of, of humility and, and not thinking more of myself than I ought, and you not thinking more of yourself than you ought, this will be a divisive, brittle, broken place. And no Christ, non-Christian in their right mind would want to come within 10 miles of us. And that's a danger, and we need to acknowledge it and be aware. But the opportunity is even greater. And Paul says, if you will use your gifts with the sober judgment of faith, understanding that it's by God's mercy that you're saved and it's by the gift of the Holy Spirit that you're empowered, then God will create within this body of believers in Green Tree Community Church, believe it or not, humble disciples who will be used by God to change the world. Let's pray.